Ski, shoot, repeat. Welcome to Biathlon Backstories. Welcome to this episode of Ski, Shoot, Repeat, and the second in our out-of-season adventures. This is the second episode of a series of biathlon backstories, where we look back to specific races in biathlon history, give you a flavour of the cultural, political and sporting zeitgeist of the time. I'll be watching the races online, and I encourage you to do the same. Check skishootrepeat.podbean.com or at skishootrepeat on Twitter for links to the race videos, and then you can recreate the world of that time and share your thoughts on the races too. The video that accompanies this episode can be found at tinyurl.com slash biathlon2002. That's tinyurl.com slash biathlon2002. So last episode we went back to 1958 and the first ever world championships in biathlon. There was a lot of detective work involved. We only had six minutes of fragmented highlights, no commentary. But luckily some people who had collected documents and memories of the event helped us piece together the narrative. This one is a little more straightforward, for me at least. This episode we have a full race video with commentary in English. And the race is not a marquee race, not a world championships or Olympics, just a regular pursuit race on the World Cup circuit. When I started watching, I didn't know what would happen or how it would end but it turns out to be one of the most exciting examples of the pursuit format that you could possibly want. My recommendation this time, listen to the next section of this podcast, which sets the scene for the race and the time, then go and watch the video, then come back for the discussion. Are you ready? Well, let's go back in biathlon time to January 2002. Now, for some of you, January 2002 will feel like yesterday. For others, you'll only have fragmentary childhood memories. I'm in the first group, old enough that some of this seems like it only just happened. Looking back from 2023 to 2002 is a weird exercise, because it's somewhere between history and memory. You can draw some clear lines from causes to effects at this distance, and you can wonder what might have been. We had come into the new millennium two years before, all excitement and fireworks, and this strange new thing called the internet. But within 24 months, so much had changed. The event that cast its shadow over the latter part of 2001 and into the period of this race was September the 11th. I honestly don't think there has been another event that hit American and British consciousness so suddenly and so hard. We were on edge, uncertain, watching a reactive war unfold and get resolved in Afghanistan and wondering what would come next. Alongside this nervousness came economic uncertainty too. The global economy had been growing and growing, fueled by deregulation, innovation, and a lot of hubris. By the time of our race, though, the dot-com bubble had burst. For those who don't know what that means, the first wave of internet and new media companies had hit financial trouble. Swathes of jobs were lost, and investments and pensions crashed in value. The massive oil company Enron has just filed for bankruptcy at this point, an event that would demonstrate corporate greed more than any other previous company collapse. Economic uncertainty was bubbling over elsewhere. Riots and unrest were happening around the world, particularly in Argentina. Meanwhile, in Europe, on the 1st of January 2002, a new thing called the Euro came along. Luckily, that has stayed. 
All sorts of military tensions were rumbling along around the world. There were wars in the Congo, Angola, Sudan and Sri Lanka. Things were looking worrying in Kosovo and there was cause for concern between Israel and Palestine. And yet we still had culture to fall back on. At the start of 2002, we were perhaps at the beginning of the current wave of movie franchise wars as the first Harry Potter movie and the first Lord of the Rings movie were both released. Think how dominant those two were during the decade that followed. We had some fun technology to distract us. The Segway, which is now quite commonly seen at sporting events as a way for officials to keep up with the action. The iPod, which was frankly one of the most beautiful pieces of design of this century. And, marking a new era in the gaming wars, the Xbox, the GameCube, and the Game Boy Advance. On those iPods, many of us were listening to Linkin Park, Dido, and Destiny's Child, with some Andrea Bocelli thrown in, all the big sellers of the year. Entertainment culture then was getting larger and more technologically advanced. Digitalization was also hitting the workplace and people's homes. We weren't yet at Bill Gates's vision of a PC in every home, but we were getting there, using Microsoft's new Windows XP program. Some of us had even started to use our mobile phones for things like messaging and games on a new thing called 3G. In the world of biathlon, well you'll remember from our look back to 1958 that competitors then were using large military rifles and shooting at targets ranging from 50 to 200 metres away. By the time we get to this race, things have become much more standardised. Competitors are using a lighter, more user-friendly .22 rifle, targets are consistently at 50 metres, and the clap and fall targets have been in use for some time. This is the familiar face of biathlon, and much of it has been in place since around 1980. Technology has also started to play a greater part. Electronic targets introduced in the 90s meant that viewers in stadia and at home could follow the shooting scores as they happened, and the sport had developed a global TV audience. We're starting to see the emergence of some real stars. What we didn't know, and what would only become apparent later, is that behind the gloss of the sport, there were some awful things being done by or to by athletes. Doping, whether through performance-enhancing drugs or blood doping, was a problem that was hard to contain. Not just in biathlon, but across multiple winter and summer sports. But back to the racing. This episode, we're focusing on the women. Specifically, we're watching the women's pursuit from Oberhof from January 2002. Oberhof was the fourth race meeting of the 2001 to 2002 World Cup season. And the racing took place about a month before the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics. The starting order for this pursuit race was determined by a very close sprint race the day before. This saw Liv Greta Poiret of Norway taking a one second advantage to the start line over Russia's Olga Pulyeva, and then a few more seconds over Sweden's Magdalena Forsberg. In a bit more detail on some of those um, competitors, Magdalena Forsberg was the reigning World Cup champion. In fact, she had won the World Cup the previous five years, an astonishing level of domination. Forsberg came to the sport of biathlon late. As a 19-year-old, she'd made a splash in cross-country, picking up a podium in a 10-kilometre individual race and a relay bronze medal at the 1987 World Championships. But she was 27 years old when she entered her first World Cup biathlon race, a transplant from cross-country, trying to see if she could achieve something in a new sport. She picked up one World Cup victory in each of her first two years, and then things really started to roll. In her third biathlon season, she won the Pursuit and overall titles. The following year, 
She won the Crystal Globes in the individual, the sprint, the pursuit, and the overall World Cup. By the time of this race, she had won the overall World Cup five times in a row, and was the reigning world champion in the individual and mass start disciplines. As this race starts, she's 34 years old and at the peak of the sport. She's won six of the first eight races of the season. But she's not unbeatable. Just the day before, she had lost in the sprint, coming third behind Poiret and Pilieva. Liv Greta Poiret of Norway is on the rise. She had come into this, the World Cup circuit at the age of 21. At the time of this race, she's 27 years old, and she's starting to win more and more races each year. She had medalled in all of the solo disciplines at the previous year's World Championships, and had finished runner-up in all of the World Cup disciplines. She had had an average start to the 2001-2002 season, with no podium finishes until the Oberhof sprint just before our Pursuit Race video. But she's coming into a run of form and looking fast on her skis. Olga Pilieva is a newcomer, just in her second season, but already attracting attention as part of a very strong Russian squad. Olena Zibrolova of Ukraine is one of the most consistent racers on the circuit. At this point in her career, she's won multiple medals at World Championships, though her peak may have been a couple of years before, in 1999, when she won gold in the World Championship individual pursuit and mass start races. Lastly, in this set of introductions, Ushi Diesel of Germany, again an incredibly consistent biathlete, whose results would have been astounding if it weren't for Magdalena Forsberg. She's about 10 years into her career at this point, and has finished in the top three in the World Cup overall standings five times. But the victories are proving harder to find, and her strength, steady but secure shooting, has become a weakness, as other biathletes have worked hard to reduce the time spent on the range. I'll leave the introductions there for now, and encourage you to go and watch the video if you haven't already. It's 38 minutes long, and it's the full pursuit race over 10 kilometers. Stick with it as it builds momentum and comes down to a tense final shoot that is the crystallization of the beauty and cruelty of this sport. You can find the video at tinyurl.com slash biathlon2002. That's tinyurl.com, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L.com slash biathlon2002. So what to say in review of the race, but wow. I picked this race at random from whatever I could find online, and it was nice to find one that was so unpredictable. There's a lot that's familiar here. The TV camera angles around the track and at the range, the Wiesmann sponsorship, the graphics on screen. There's also an extra tracking shot along the range, which I'm sure puts some biathletes off, and which we don't see in the same way anymore. The race start is a bit chaotic. Rather than timing ones, we have individual race stewards letting racers know when they can set off, so there are a lot of people milling around. The crowd is as enthusiastic as ever, though. You get a real sense of occasion and enthusiasm from all around the tracks. On the first circuit, you can see everyone just taking it in. Poiret, Pilieva and Forsberg are coming together at the front of the race. Zubrilova is working hard in behind them. Forsberg is patient. She doesn't rush to close the seven-second gap just takes her time and picks up ground on the big hills towards the end of the lap. Watch Ushi Diesel too. The commentator will talk about her later. She looks so awkward on skis. There's a lot of side-to-side -side movement, but whatever she's doing is effective, and she's trying to close down on Forsberg. 
Poiret and Pilieva look more elegant at the front of the race, but the gap is closing. Five minutes in and we have a group of four at the front, with Zubrilova in fifth. And our first sight of the flags at the range suggesting that the wind is going to be more challenging than expected. Into the first shoot. Poiret goes fast, but pays the price. Forsberg is patient and gets a five out of five reward. There's a little tick that Forsberg has in the prone shooting, which is to aim her first shot at an inner target, not the end one. Effectively, she starts with the second target in from the left, then goes for the end left one, then the remainder from the middle out to the right. You'll see it on the graphic. It works for Forsberg, and she, Diesel, and Zubrilova head out into the lead, whilst Poiret and Plieva go round the penalty loop after each missing one. Diesel shooting clear is great for getting her home crowd involved too. Lap 2 is a good opportunity to look at the skiing styles of Forsberg, Diesel and Zubrilova. I mentioned Diesel's kind of stiffness on her skis. Zubrilova is known for racing with longer poles, as she hunches a bit when she's going uphill. In fact, at the 1998 Olympics, one of her teammates mistakenly took Zubrilova's poles, skied really well, won a medal, and never went back to her own standard pole length. Something that's interesting from this race, Forsberg is not afraid to lead from the front. Sometimes we see racers holding back, wanting to be in second to be out of the, the wind, doing less of the work. Here though, Forsberg is putting the pressure on. Zubrilova behind them stays patient, makes contact with the other two towards the end of the lap. In for the second shoot with our three leaders, Forsberg, Diesel and Zubrilova. As mentioned in the commentary, Forsberg shooting 93% in the prone to this point in the season. This is pretty much what Julia Simon did during the most recent World Cup season, helping her to win the overall World Cup Crystal Globe. Forsberg is a bit twitchy on the mat, taking the longest time to settle of the three. But all three have one miss and go on to the penalty loop. A clean shoot from Pilieva brings her back into contention, so we have four skiers travelling together into that third lap. Pilieva, Diesel, Forsberg and Zubrilova. This is part of the magic of pursuit racing. The ebb and flow of positions in a race can be fascinating and heartbreaking in equal measure. Further down the order, Glagow of Germany and several of the Russian biathletes are moving up based on clear shooting. And Liv Greta Poiré is slightly in no man's land in fifth. This time round, it's Ushi Diesel who's putting in the work at the front of the race. But everyone's working hard now. No one wants to give up even half a metre to anyone else. Now we're coming in for the third shoot. It's the first in the standing position. Watch how the second skier into the range, Zubrilova, skis right up close to Diesel in front of her, almost like she's going to overtake. It's a strength move, getting slightly into Diesel's peripheral vision to try and distract her. We're about 20 minutes into the video right now, and it's worth watching this shoot again. It takes some time for the first standing shots to go, and you can see the deep breathing and the steadying of position going on. You'll see the difference in philosophy between Zubrilova and Diesel. Zubrilova is in aggressively, shoots quickly, accepts her misses and leaves. Diesel starts well, but misses her second shot, and then goes into a more patient mode, taking her time. She ends up shooting the same as Zubrilova, 3 out of 5, but loses 5 or 6 seconds in the range, time which will have to be made up through greater exertion on the tracks. Now rewind and focus on Forsberg in this shoot. She is slow to set up, the last one to fire a shot, and it misses. Then she has some sort of mechanical issue with the rifle. It looks like she's manually reloading rounds, so she's losing time, and the pressure means she's losing accuracy. You can see that she's struggling to keep her position, that her lack of oxygen is starting to affect her. 
She's missed two and has to reach down to manually reload for her final shot. She can only manage two out of five, so it's three penalty loops on top of an extra 20 seconds or so on the range. Forsberg drops to almost 45 seconds behind the leaders. Pilieva shoots patiently, but maybe she's distracted by Forsberg in the next lane, and she can only hit two out of five. Liv Greta Poiré comes in as the others are leaving the range, and we get one of those glorious turnarounds that Biathlon offers. She shoots four out of five, and will come out of the penalty loop in third place, leapfrogging Pilieva and Forsberg. Up ahead, Subralova and Diesel are out in the lead. Subralova is taking advantage of her faster time on the range. She's working hard this lap, trying to sustain it. But Diesel is pushing too. This is the moment of absolute psychological pressure in a pursuit race. Over these next five minutes or so, you'll be trying to persuade your brain to just let the ski technique flow, be in the moment, race your race, all that kind of stuff. But imagine the internal narrative. You've got to maintain your lead. Well, you've got to catch the person in front. You're starting to feel every stress and strain in your muscles and lungs. Fatigue is creeping in, and you're counting down the minutes till you have to come face to face with those five targets again. Hit them and win, miss them and who knows. This must be the longest lap, physically and mentally, in any pursuit race. Zubralova and Diesel have pulled out 30 seconds over Poiré, and a bit more over everyone else. The other chasers are within about 45 seconds and continuing to push. Maybe there's a podium finish available to one of them, depending on what people do ahead. Coming into the range for the final time, at around 27 minutes in the video, Supralova has kept the pressure on, maintained her lead over Diesel. Perhaps Diesel has slowed down, wanting to gather her breath and get this right. Supralova takes a long time to settle into her position on the range, almost like she's letting Diesel catch up before striking. Diesel's struggling, watch her again, or she's, that she's wobbling a lot and shooting slowly. Zubralova can only hit three, but is fast, and off onto the penalty loop whilst Diesel is still working through her targets. Poiret and the chasers, including Forsberg and Plieva, appear in the background. Poor old Ushi Diesel can only hit two, and you can see the disappointment in her posture, as well as hearing it from the German crowd. Now it's onto the chasers. Poiret, Plieva, Bogali, Forsberg. Poiré in the red suit in the foreground is looking great. She smoothly gets the first four targets in a really nice rhythm, but then something snaps and she holds and she holds, and that last shot takes such a long time to come, and it's a miss. She's hit four out of five. Now watch Forsberg. Two lanes further up than Poiré, wearing the blue suit and yellow bib. She means business. She shoots way faster than we've seen up till now. Nothing to lose, so you might as well win. Five out of five, no hesitation. A phenomenal achievement given that she missed three shots last time in and had a mechanical fault that could have recurred at any point. Pilieva manages five out of five too, albeit slower, and we are coming into the final lap with Forsberg ten seconds ahead of Zubrileva, Bavrel of France, who I haven't even mentioned, is in third after some great shooting, with Poiret on the hunt to try and chase her down. And you've watched it now, so you can ride out the last lap, enjoying it and indulging in what we've just witnessed. This is such a great example of why pursuit racing is an incredible thing. You can see people moving their way up the ranking order through clean shooting and strong skiing. Florence Bravarel eventually made it to fifth by shooting 20 out of 20, while the others around her were shooting 15 or 16. You can see people buckling under the pressure, particularly in the final shoot. Look at Zubralova and Diesel. Pursuit can be exceptionally cruel. And you can see the cream rising to the top. 
Forsberg staying with it even when she lost so much time on that third shoot. To be an effective pursuiter, you have to believe that the race is never over. So what happened next? Well, just a few weeks after this race, the biathletes headed to Salt Lake City for the Winter Olympics, which included the first ever running of the women's pursuit. The results at the Olympics didn't go quite as you might have expected, having learned all these names from that season. The Germans actually had the best of the solo races, with Andrea Henkel picking up gold in the individual, Katty Wilhelm gold in the sprint and silver in the pursuit, and Uschi Diesel silver in the sprint. The Germans also won the relay gold. Olga Pilieva won gold in the pursuit race, coming from 8th place and shooting 19 out of 20 on a day when many others faltered on the range. Surprisingly, Magdalena Forsberg only won two bronze medals at those games, but she went on to win the individual, sprint, pursuit and mass start titles, as well as the overall World Cup in the 2001-2 season. This was her sixth overall title in a row, a feat that has never been matched. At the end of this season, she decided to retire, aged 34. Looking back on her retirement, she talked about the weight of expectation. She had had early success as a cross-country skier, which led to a lot of media attention. Moving into biathlon and sustaining success over so many years was too much in the end. She said, when you win so many races, there is so much extra around. I got sick. I just cried and thought nothing was fun. It became too much all around and I could not handle it. I just cried, even though I knew I really should be the happiest person in the world. It's sad when our sporting icons feel this way and lose their love for what they do. And it's a theme that has come up during episodes of this podcast as we watch our present day sporting heroes and heroines grapple with the mental side of the sport as well as the physical. Since her retirement, Magdalena Forsberg has gone on to a successful career in television, including sports, nature and entertainment programmes. Liv Greta Poiret kept getting better and went on to win the Crystal Globes in the Sprint, Pursuit and Mass Start, as well as the overall World Cup title in the 2003-04 season. This was particularly special because she had missed the previous year as she was pregnant and then having her daughter. You can draw a lovely parallel to Anais Chevalier-Boucher, who took time out of the sport in recent years to start a family, and then who then came back to some great race performances. Another comparison with Anais Chevalier-Boucher is that Liv Greta Poiret then found the challenge of raising a family and competing at the highest level placed too much pressure on her. She struggled with health issues, suffering from mono, also known as glandular fever, and eventually retired from biathlon in 2006 at the age of 31. Olga Plieva kept getting better and better at biathlon. Just a few weeks after this race, she won the 10km Pursuit Gold Medal at the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics. She won 10 World Cup races and picked up another Olympic medal, this time a silver in Turin in 2006. That was the point where things changed. Plieva tested positive for carpidon, a banned substance developed in the Soviet Union as a general stimulant to increase tolerance of extreme temperatures or stress. Because the doping took place in Italy, where doping was a criminal offence, Pilieva was under threat of criminal prosecution. She was ultimately banned from the sport for two years, before returning in the late 2000s and retiring in 2010. She always claimed that she took over-the-counter pain medication for an ankle injury, and that's where the positive test came from. Olena Zubrilova continued racing through the early 2000s, changing her national affiliation from Ukraine to Belarus. She won the World Championship Mass Start Race in 2002, just a few weeks after the Oberhof race, and went on to pick up more medals in 2003-2005. She's now a senior coach for the Belarus national biathlon team. 
Bushy Diesel competed in five Olympic Games during her 19-year career, picked up the silver medal in the sprint at Salt Lake City a few weeks after our selected race. She's one of the most decorated biathletes of all times in terms of world and Olympic medals, but perhaps is overlooked because of the dominance of Forsberg in the season-long World Cup competitions. She finished on a high though, winning both sprint and pursuit goals in her final World Championships in 2005. One last thing. Remember the mention of Ulak Sletemark of Greenland during the race? She was described as returning to biathlon following the birth of her daughter. Well, that daughter is Ukalek Sletemark, who won the World Youth Biathlon Championships individual gold in 2019 and is now drawing attention on the World Cup biathlon circuit with a couple of top 30 finishes this year. Thank you for listening. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with links to all sorts of background information and sources, at skishootrepeat.podbean.com. Please do follow us on Twitter at skishootrepeat. And do get in touch to tell me what's right and what's wrong, what you're enjoying, what else you'd like to hear about. I'll be looking at more video next month for another biathlon backstory, and I look forward to sharing that with you soon. Thank you for listening to Ski Shoot Repeat. I've been Lizzie Boyle.